Sorry, I brought a piece of tape to try to hold this higher up. A Kleenex box will do. Couldn't find the duct tape in the maintenance room downstairs, and electrical tape is just not doing it. Good to hear you, this, uh, to see you this morning, and to hear your singing. I'm encouraged and blessed by the singing. Before we begin, let's pray to the Lord. Father, we're thankful that you have given us this place in which the love of Christ is evident and which, uh, which place we can sing. Sing from our hearts. Lord, you know our hearts. We thank you for redeeming us, for making us your own, for redeeming our very hearts and our souls and what we are and making us your sons and daughters. As we consider your word this morning and times of old, that your spirit would guide and direct and inform our minds. In Jesus' name. Amen. My message this morning is crossing Jordan or not, and it is now seven minutes to 12. <clears throat> crossing Jordan or not. And when we think of Jordan, we may wonder what it means. Have you thought about the fact that when the children of God on the night of Passover, fled Egypt with blood on the lentils and ate that unleavened bread with their garments tucked into their belts because they're about to flee. And they fled, and Pharaoh thought better of the whole idea of releasing them and chased them to the Red Sea, to Yamsaf, and they crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. And so you have a picture of blood and you have a picture of passing through water. These are pictures. These are pictures of salvation. These are the children of God. These are the children of God under the blood and having passed through the water. Wait, what happens? How long does it take to get to the Jordan River opposite the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey? Well, I suppose that a brisk, a brisk march, it wouldn't take a week. And they, they did get there. And as you will remember, they did not cross. You have the Passover, Exodus 12. And you have the arrival at the river in Numbers chapter 14. And they did not cross. What did that mean? Well, it would have meant that they are entering into the promised land. And what does the promised land mean? What is that metaphor? What is God teaching us through his word as to the meaning of the promised land? It is a place of rest, of Christian victory. That's what it is. That's what it means. A place of of Christian victory. Does that mean it is a place of... Um, there's a commercial that I really hate. I, I, uh, I hit the mute button, I change it, I do anything I have to to, to, uh, 
avoid listening to that commercial. You, you'll know it right away when I say it. We invoke the right to be lazy. We're stretching back here on our lazy boy chairs, and this is what we're about, and we're going to be the lazy people in our lazy boy chairs. And here's me in my lazy boy chair looking at the lazy boy chair commercial. I don't like watching that. So is the promised land that kind of place where you have nothing to do as a Christian? The child of God has nothing to do. Is that God's intention and that's God's will for your life, that there is no victory because there's no battle? There's no battle because there's nothing to do. That is not at all what God had in mind. Some time ago, Andrew Walls spoke about the first victory. What was the first victory? It was the victory at Jericho. And that was an amazing victory, followed by a, a defeat due to what you might call contamination in the camp at Ai. So the, the picture of that land of milk and honey is a picture of um, the Christian moving into a place of active victory and having that rest of God, the Sabbath of God, the, the rest of the soul. So <clears throat> this then becomes um, sort of the background picture to passages like 1 Corinthians 10, which then presents to us some interpretive challenges. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant. Know that all your, our fathers were under the cloud and passed through the sea and were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. Neither be idolaters. And it continues... But with many of them, God was not pleased. Now, <clears throat> in order to deal with this passage, I need to spend a few minutes on the, the view, my view, the view of um, many very well-known theologians and a school of theology that you might uh, be aware of called dispensationalism. So when you read of uh, when you read that word in Ephesians a couple of times, when you see references to, to uh, what are eons or eras, this is the fact that God has dealt with his people in different ways at different points in history, and there are distinct differences in how those different parts of the various histories of the various children of God... Uh, are present, there are distinct differences. So, <clears throat> what are some, what are the seven dispensations? Well, you have man in innocence in the garden. Are you in innocence right now? You most certainly are not. I am most certainly not. I am a redeemed sinner. Then you have man under his own conscience because he is no longer in the garden. 
then you have human government because the period of man under his own conscience ended with this situation with regard to the inner man. Every imagination of his heart was evil continually. What a condemnation in Genesis 6. What a, what a sobering thought. That's, that's man in, under conscience or going by his conscience. And so you had the flood. After the flood, you had Shem, Ham, and Japheth and the, the, the eight mouths. In the Chinese character, there are eight mouths in a boat. Little mouths in a little Chinese character boat. And nobody knows how old that character is. And they spread out all over the earth, big cities and so on. And then they got it in their minds to build a tower, the Tower of Babel. And God confused their languages and they spread out all over the earth. And when you look at the way in which languages have spread out over the earth, there's actually radiating patterns. And so uh, that is what God did. And you have Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, the promise. And you have the giving of the law, Moses. And then you have the cross. And now we live under grace and by grace. And we live in this age of grace, this era of grace, until Christ returns and sets up his millennial kingdom. So these seven dispensations are radically different in their character. I have previously drawn arrows. Now I'm drawing like solid black bars because these seven periods of time in in human history and future are so distinct. We might put images there. What do you think of a flaming sword so you cannot return to the garden? There's no going back to the garden. That's a famous piece of Japanese art. That's one of the most valuable pieces of art in the world. I took out Mount Fuji. The flood. A catastrophic, a cataclysmic flood. The world had a paroxysm. And then the Tower of Babel. And then the promise to Abraham. And then we move into the book of Exodus and the law, the Ten Commandments is Exodus chapter 20, given from Mount Sinai, brought down by Moses to the people of God. And they now must live under that law. And then, of course, the single most cataclysmic, monumental, important event in all eternity, in all human history, for all time, is the cross. Everything else pales in comparison to the cross. Ushering in the age of grace in which salvation is by faith, and there is this window of opportunity in which we now live. We live in windows of opportunity individually, We live within a window of opportunity dispensationally that that window of opportunity to enjoy, to receive, to benefit from the grace of God will end. It will end with the return of Christ. 
He will sweep up his people to himself at the rapture, and he will return in glory and set up a 1,000-year kingdom of divine rule. So these events and these periods of time are clearly very distinct. And when we start trying to say that this applies to this and this applies to this, we either have to do a lot of uh, semantic gymnastics or we have to start saying, well, that was for then and it has no relevance to now. Um, or else that particular aspect, it completely evaporated. Really. And so... Um, it is important in handling the Word of God and dividing the Scriptures properly to understand these things and to interpret the Scriptures accordingly. I should pick up my pace. Um, the return of Christ, as we see here, oops, uh, my laser, where's the laser button? There's the laser button. The return of Christ. What an event that will be. What a, what a, this, is, this is what we look forward to. We look forward to the return of Christ and the setting up of his kingdom. Last week I was in PEI listening to uh, the conference speaker Mike Atwood, who um, I can't help but think of telling you, because I'm always interested in accents. I'm a person that says, listen to accents. I was so pleased with myself. I pegged him. It said that he came from Missouri. Wait a minute. Does this, have, this man have a southern accent, y'all? Not at all. Not at all. Does he have a touch of a British accent? He does. What part of England? And I said, are you from Yorkshire? And he looked at me. He said, originally, I'm from Yorkshire. My grandfather was from Yorkshire. So he had a Yorkshire accent suppressed by living in the States and avoiding getting into the how you doing, y'all. He didn't say anything like that. He avoided that altogether. And the, a couple of things came out of that time. It was a wonderful time amongst believers at Charlottetown Bible Chapel. Here we are in Northbrook Bible Chapel, um, somewhat four hours away. And you would think that you're just going home, like I'm, I'm walking into this building and I feel like I'm, uh, within like two hours, I'm, I'm home. And it was wonderful fellowship on very short notice. Um, unfortunately, m my host and I have um, some civil engineering background and we talked till 11.30 at night until we could hardly talk to each other anymore, we were so tired. And, and my wife and, and, uh, and Gloria McDougall were similarly over in the kitchen talking, 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 talking until we... We were sort of going, are they done? They're not done, let's keep talking. And they're, and, and they're going in the kitchen, are they done? They're not done, let's keep talking. Wonderful fellowship. And uh, one of the things that Mike Atwood mentioned with regard to these eras was that the amillennial groups, the often associated with what's called Reformed theology, they say, look, uh, you know, to suggest that there is no millennium, which is a major school of theology, and to suggest that uh, things are not actually going to get better is so pessimistic. He, a man got up in the pulpit, he was saying, we're at a conference in Florida, and this was his basis, is so pessimistic. And I've been thinking about that all week. What kind of a 
method of analysis is it to suggest that there is no millennium because it's pessimistic? When you look at what transpired, when you look at what transpired up to the flood and the judgment of God is about to come, is optimism or pessimism any, anything to do with anything? It's irrelevant. God's judgment is coming. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be before my return, right? What, what has pessimism or optimism got to do with anything? We must go with the Bible. We must see what is in the Bible and understand what is in the Bible and not reject what we see clearly in the Bible on the basis of some kind of emotional reaction to, you know, and, and the idea that, well, you know, um, if things aren't going to get any better, why are we preaching? Well, we are preaching because we desire that people would avoid the coming judgment. That's one of the reasons we preach the gospel, to, that people would avoid individual judgment should they pass before the Lord comes, or avoid the judgment that is coming. <clears throat> and so another feature of this while I'm at it is that Reformed theology is sometimes called replacement theology and you take the promises to Israel and you morph Israel into the church and morph the church into the new Israel. And that is sometimes called replacement theology. I gave an evening message, I think it was a year ago perhaps on that, and Mike Atwood pointed out that that is in, ladies, some of your homeschooling material, depending on where you obtained it. So I think the saints need to be careful about what material they are using and what perspective the material has with regard to the present, the past, the present, and the future. We are not the new Israel. We are not. The law does not justify me. The law does not save me. The law does not make me presentable to God. Mark 1.14, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe. The message is the same today. Repent and believe. That is what we need. That's what the message needs to be. I often feel that, unfortunately, there is too much emphasis on a kind of um, formulaic prayer and that if you pray this formulaic prayer, all will be well, and there is no conviction of sin, and there is no understanding of repentance, there is no conviction, there is no repentance, there's, there's just this idea that all I have to do is say these words to God and all will be well. Repent and believe. That is the message of the New Testament and the message of the Gospel. Mm church will be raptured with the ingathering that has already started to Israel. It will be completed. Israel's light as a nation under God will be shining out to the entire earth and the ingathering will be completed and the Lord Jesus will not rule with an imaginary rod made of I don't know what. He will rule with a rod of iron. 
I don't know about you, but when I see what's going on in this, my country, and I see the amount of dysfunction and the amount of corruption and the amount of chaos and the amount of immorality that's being put forward by the government, I look forward to the day when the Lord Jesus is going to be in charge. I'm sure you do too. And it says, a rod of iron. <clears throat> Back to our text. You want to please the Lord. And when you read these words, God was not pleased with them. Perhaps you say, ooh, I don't want to live a life that's not pleasing to my Lord. How is it that we can live in a way that is not pleasing to the Lord? Well, he points back to the, to the Old Testament. <clears throat> and we have, as I say, the arrival at the Jordan River. And you have... 68 chapters in your Bible for a walk that I don't know if it even takes a week. What? It's good to study the Bible. It's good to... What I'm trying to do this morning as well is what, what they, the, the, using the metaphor, the, the, the 30,000 foot perspective. Sometimes we will study a single chapter and a single event. Good. But sometimes I think we often actually need to say, what's the picture from up here when we go from Exodus 12 to Joshua 3, what happened? And many of you are going, you know, he's right. They did come to this spot twice. What? Yes, they did. Well, now you should start asking yourself, why did they come to this, stop, this position twice? This is the promised land. You come up to this flowing water and... No. No. It's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. It's going to be the Red Sea crossing in chapter 14. To get out of Exodus, you get to chapter 40, and then you've got 27 chapters in Leviticus, and then you've got 14 chapters in Numbers to get to this picture, to get to this spot. Isn't that interesting? And then... When faced with this, I hope your mind is, is bringing up some details that I'm not even talking about, about the 12 guys who went in. And two of them came back with a report, we can do this. We can do this. And the other 10 are going, there's big people, it's scary, this is, no, no, no. And they, what did they do? They cried and they lost a night's sleep and they cried themselves to bed, cried themselves to sleep. This is the promised land. We've got to do something. Oh dear. So, <clears throat> what happens? Well, you know, God, He looks at the situation, if I may say, and says, Well, you're not fit. Are you fit for the task? You have a task. I have things for you to do. You're saying can't? Well, maybe that turns into what that really is, is won't. You say can't? It's really won't, because you can. 
God knows you can, but you won't. What is the won't turned into? God says, you can't. You can't. You're not fit. And so, God in his wisdom sends them out into this situation. Isn't that interesting? You can't, you can't find it within yourself to be obedient and to be victorious. You demonstrate to, to, to the Lord that you are unfit for a promise, to receive a promise, to receive abundance and victory. Well, what do you need? This is where we read our Bibles and we study and say, look what God is saying here about what they need. You need to go into the wilderness again. And it's so funny, not funny. They said, no, 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 no. We remember that. Lots of things happened in that. We don't want... Let us fight the local neighbors. So they, they, they try to go up in a hill and they try to take the, the, the local... Uh, I think it was the Amalekites. And, and Moses said, not going to work. And it didn't work. So, <laughs> so, so sad, funny, you know. Promised land, no, you need to be victorious. Well, maybe we can have a little fight here and God will be satisfied and, and it's my fight and I thought of it and it's my idea and no. You are going into the wilderness. You need a total refocus. You need to totally refocus. You need a place with no milk, no honey, no entertainment, nothing much to do and you need to focus on me. You need to focus on God. Wearsby calls it the school of the wilderness. Will God send you back to the school of the wilderness if that's what you are like, if that's what I am like? I don't know how to move into the place of victory. I'm playing with too much sin. I'm playing with too much doubt and fear and faithlessness. He says he sent them there to learn about life, God, themselves, and faith. Sent themselves to a place of no entertainment, to learn about God's law, and to learn to be content. That's the daytime, and that's the nighttime. And sometimes it would happen, it's moving, it's moving, it's moving. Okay, pick up, pick up, pull up the stakes, it's moving. And go again. Where? Why? We don't know. It's moving. We're going. And when it stops, that's where we'll camp. And that's where we'll worship. And that's where we will satisfy ourselves with the Lord and learn to be led. That's something to learn, isn't it? Learn to be led. So how does this 1 Corinthians 10 passage you know, talking about God not pleased with them. Does that mean that if God is not pleased with me, he's going to kill me? That he's going to end my life? Because that's what he frequently did to some of the earthly children of God in the wilderness. Does it mean that he's going to kill some of us? end our lives, I use the word kill, end our lives because of our failure to obey and our failure to follow. No. We live in the age of grace 
the means by which God disciplines his children in the age of grace in this present time is not that way. It is not that way with regard to dealing with enemies. For example, 2 Corinthians 10, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. A carnal weapon is a sword. It was a sword. Now it's not a sword. But it's a weapon of our warfare, and it is the mightiness of God casting down the wrong imagination, as it says in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, and 5. It's your imagination, your mind, your heart. That's what needs to be changed. And it's the work of the Spirit. And so we come to the question of what's this for? I believe that what this is for is for what's in there. I'm sure you can read that. Can you read that, Tunde? What's written inside the heart there? What? Why not? Huh? All that writing in the heart there? No? Oh, I guess, let me help you out. My mistake. Oh, dear. What's in our hearts? God sees it all. Don't kid yourself. God knows it all. Mike Atwood was saying last weekend, <laughs> they, uh, Luther, Martin Luther, in church history, got, got wind of a church being called a Lutheran church. He said, what? Don't do that. You'd call a church a, a name after this bag of maggots? You'd name a church after this bag of maggots? He said, that's what Luther said. Actually, you know what? Right on, brother. I'm sure if you put up um, MacDonaldian, Wellesian, Akpanian Church of Halifax, the brothers would be out there with a ladder and a hammer tearing that off the wall as fast as they possibly could. It's not about men. It's not about the direction of men. It's about redemption of the heart. Our hearts are full of awful things that the Spirit of God deals with, that redemption deals with. And what you have with the dashed line is, there is, is Numbers 14. That's the, the first time they came to the river. What happened before Numbers 14? We don't have time. That's why we have the 30,000 foot view this morning. We have testing and, uh, testing and quarreling about water. I couldn't find one reference to them saying to Moses, pray for us, we're low on water, or for, of any of them saying, we are low on water, let us pray. Not once. Ah, what's going on? What are we here for? What's going on? God is, what's with God? We don't know what, what? Massa, test God. Oh dear. Meribah. In Numbers 11, uh, before they got to the river the first time, we remember murmuring about food. The garlic and the leek and the cucumbers and the melons, that's what we remember in Egypt. Egypt, where's Egypt? We miss Egypt. Cucumbers and melons and garlics and leeks. <sighs> no doubt. 
no doubt, but, but they need to learn to sustain themselves with what God provides. Do you know how to sustain yourself with what God provides? I myself am too guilty of sustaining myself using entertainment, escapism. Never before in human history has this been more possible. Unfortunately, we need to wean ourselves off of these things. I remember when I taught in Africa for a couple of months with no TV or internet in the house at all. No phone, no internet, no TV, no nothing. I got close to the Lord. I got in such sweet fellowship in the, with the Lord. I said, look at that. Maybe that's why I'm here. It's to remind me that I, that I don't need those things and I need to lessen those things. And so you have various things that can be, I'm 25 after, metaphorically interpreted and so on not so metaphorically interpreted, worshiping the wrong thing, worshiping in a, in a way which is from the flesh, criticizing, and these things were judged, they were judged, they were judged. And what do we need in our hearts? We need them to be judged in our hearts. We need to see them for what they are, and we need them to be judged. Look at after Numbers 14, leading up to Joshua chapter 2, chapter 3. What do you have? <clears throat> Where am I? Kleenex box. Above the dashed line. And now, below the dashed line. Yeah murmuring, um, and so on. I'm having a little bit of trouble here. Here it is. Gainsaying, the fleshly grabbing of spiritual authority or religious authority, that leads to an earthly path. I can't escape, I can't uh, resist the temptation to say that if you are going to, by the flesh, grab the religious authority, the world will eat you. It literally ate them. You become worldly. You're going to be murmuring about a judgment. Well, you might get more judgment. You're going to be angry about thirst again because you still haven't learned from the past two times? In that case, Moses was punished. You're going to be angry about the food again? Some of the brothers and I were down in the, in the oil tank room in the basement and there's a, a cross down there with a serpent on it. A bra it's, not, it's plastic. Hello, plastic. Not, it's supposed to be brass. And, and that's down there in the oil tank room. And if they looked at that... Sin judged, because that's what Christ was on the cross. Sin judged. Then the sin bite did not kill them. Wonderful picture, wonderful image. 
Toward the end of Numbers, we're getting to the end of the book, this very interesting interlude that you can study about the false prophet Balaam, who was not able to curse the people of God. Good. You know that? You can't be cursed by Satan. You cannot be. It's not possible. You are protected. You are the, the people of God, given the spirit of God. I love that picture from Numbers. He said, I tried to curse them. I can't do it. What came out of his mouth? Uh, uh, words coming up. Blessing. He's actually in the pay of Balak to curse them, the Moabites. Can't do it. Can't do it. Satan cannot curse you. You are a child of God. And toward the end, you have the mixing, the mixing of worship and the mixing of blood by marriage with pagans, with Moabites, Midianites. Not good. Not good at all. But you know, all of these things are really, um, they are things that need to be put to death. As you become aware of them by the Spirit of God, you need, by the Spirit of God, to put them to death. That's remedy. It's death. So here we are again. Joshua 2.3. The first time, they said can't. It was really won't. And they said woe. And God said, turn around. Is it going to be that? Turn around. Keep that image with you. In your own heart, do you ever do that to God? God is leading you. say, whoa. No, God, no. God is not pleased with that. Let us try to please the Lord. Let us never be people who do that to God and say, Whoa, no, no. Because that may turn into God stopping you and detouring you so that you will be able to focus on the things that you need to focus on. Forty years in the wilderness, 57 chapters from, in that case. And then you have, in Joshua 2.3, which might be my next message, the protocol for crossing into the promised land. And it's an entire protocol. It involved the Ark of the Covenant. It involved the priests. It's a wonderful uh, way to start that victorious book of Joshua. The, the dry ground appeared... <clears throat> and they passed over on dry ground, and you, you sort of go, you remember? Remember the last, you know, this is a new generation of people. These are regenerate people. And, but remember what your dad said? We passed through on dry ground. It's dry ground again. There's water over there. Dry ground again, remember? Don't forget. We're very forgetful people. And then, of course, if that happens, the water can't continue on downstream. And it backed up all the way to Adma or Adam, going right back in reference to the fall. In reference to the fall. And my artistic abilities with Windows Paint do not allow me to, draw, to, uh, to create that image of a river that has 
an M1 profile for gradually varied flow in an open channel that, that does that on that picture. That's, that's way beyond my artistic abilities. Not beyond my computational abilities, but it is beyond my artistic abilities. Here's a couple of verses I want to close with. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and of discipline in the New American Standard. For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Sound mind of discipline. It is actually along the lines of sound mind. In fact, Soza, the sound part, is saved. A saved mind. Do you think like a saved person? Are your thought processes and your logic consistent with being a saved person? That is the kind of sound mind that we need. We don't want to be fearful and do this to God. We want to go on in the power of the Spirit. Sometimes we say, I, at this moment, don't feel adequate. I know God is telling me to do something. But remember something. When you have to do it, God will give you the grace. You might not feel the grace right now, but I believe that if you are obedient to what is the will of God, God will engrace you to do it. And God is able to make all grace overflow to you so that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, I think that's King James, you will have an abundance for every good deed. <clears throat> all sufficiency in all things. Don't you like to be sufficient? Do you like to be enough for the job? I like to be enough for the job. I don't like not being enough for the job. I don't like being incompetent and insufficient. The Bible teaches me that God can bring that sufficiency into my life so that I can be obedient. And with that, we will close this morning. Thank you for your attention. Father in heaven, we thank you that your grace is so great you have taken away our sins. You have washed us in the blood of Christ. You have made us your sons and daughters. And so we are your children. We are your heirs. We are heirs with Christ. We pray for the grace to live like that. We pray for the power to live in a manner that is consistent with our redemption. Help us not to be fearful. Help us to be people of courage, people of principle, people of clarity. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.